God is doing something here. He's doing something through people. It's not the building he's doing something through. It's through the people in the building. That's the church. It's a nice building, but without the people, there's no church. You know what I mean? When there was just a few of y'all here last January 2018, we had to believe strongly. We had to have some mighty faith, some crazy radical faith. And some people just said, no, you're just crazy. You have too much faith because you're crazy. You're going to be just like the others. You're a statistic. You can't survive. It's just people aren't hungry here, blah, 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 blah. You can't succeed. But we knew it doesn't matter what we think can happen. God can touch lives. And when God touches lives, things grow, things happen, seed roots. Amen. So we are so glad to be here in this final week of what we call the Affection from Afar series. This was a look at the book of Philippi while Paul was on house arrest, writing back to the church of the Philippians, the church of Philippi. Uh, Philippi was uh, modern Macedonia, Greece. It was the first European church, Christian church, and Paul planted it. And these are the only people, if you read Paul's other writings all over the New Testament, because he wrote most of it, It's the only one where he shows like a a love and compassion and almost like these are my friends. These are my family. He shows a friendliness in these letters that are not in the other gospel. But today is the last day of this series, four weeks, four chapters. And today is Paul's farewell writings to the church of Philippi. What started all this is after he had planted the church, they grew and then he got arrested again. And as he was in jail, house arrest, wherever he was, they sent a messenger, Epaphrodites, who brought him a financial, uh, he brought him some ties, is what, what they did. They brought him some money to take care of himself. And Paul was so moved that they would do this, that they remembered what he instilled in them. Now they were giving back. See, when God gives it to you, what do we do with it? We give it away, we give it back. When we give it away, we give it to him. We do give it back to him when we give it to others. It's a circle. I give it out. It goes back to God. God pours more into us. We keep doing this. We keep giving it away, and he keeps giving us more and more till we're overflowing with so much, we can only do one thing, and that's just pour it into others because you can only hold so much, and it doesn't feel good to hold something so good. You want to give away when it's that good. But he was moved by these people, and today he's giving a source of inspiration, and also a final thank you and see you later. Paul's always like, I'll be back. I'll be back. Like the Terminator. He was like the Terminator, Matt. Sort of. He wasn't a robot, but otherwise he, and he didn't have the red thing in his eye. And he didn't kill people with big machine guns, but otherwise he was just like the Terminator. I'll be back. He says, remember, I'll be back. I'm not going anywhere. It's only a season. Even in eternity, if I die, I'll be back. I'll see you in heaven. Worst case. But I was thinking about this whole flow and how, how to present this last chapter. And, 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 and the thing I, I got out of it was the, the unity between the people and Paul, the camaraderie, the bond. They were united. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It's like building on quicksand, the Bible says. It can't stand. So unity is so important. Anybody ever seen 
a Christian concert live? Yeah? So you've probably seen like you know, Chris Tomlin and Torn Wells, and he, you know, he's, he's like the Christian Michael Jackson. He's good, by the way. We just got to see a private Torn Wells concert a few weeks at a church conference. It was spectacular. And you've probably seen, um, I don't know, Brian McKnight? No, he wasn't. He was good, though, but he wasn't like CCM or whatever. What about Hillsong? Anybody heard of Hillsong? They got a church, too. There's, they're they're kind of getting their momentum. They're, they're really growing now. I don't know if you've heard of them. You might have heard of them now. You know, they're kind of across the globe. Hillsong has had the biggest music movement in the Christian genre in my whole life, in my, my generation. They changed the face of Christian music. They changed it from being something I didn't really enjoy to something I could relate with because they had this heavy anointing. But So we went to a Hillsong concert. Anybody been to a Hillsong concert live? Nick? Nobody else? I encourage you, if you want to go to a worship experience, not a concert, go check out Hillsong United. They're called Hillsong United. And when you go into the arena, we were at the St. Charles Family Arena. This was, where's Michelle? It's about 10 years ago. But it was a long time. Before kids, I think. Okay, we had one kid. So eight years ago. We're in there. Every song, everybody is on their feet, hands up, every word. I don't know any of them. Jim, I know you. I feel, I feel it, brother. I know what you're saying. Me and Jim talked about this before. I'm in there, and they're just shouting praise every song. We didn't even need the band. He didn't need the band. Just play the track. We didn't need the lead singer. Because they knew every word to every song on the album. And did you, if you, I don't know if you know this, but most of their songs are like 28 minutes long each. You know, it's united. It's worship. It's not really that long, but it is long. But what moved me was the unity in these people singing out, crying out to God. It wasn't a concert. I've been to Mercy Me. I've been to Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin was pretty good. Mercy Me, it was a concert. But when I went to Hillsong, it was a worship experience. It was completely different. If you've never been, I highly encourage it. Go check out Hillsong United when they come. It will change, it'll change your life. You want to see worship. Wow. But the unity in it is what was so amazing. And sometimes I feel like Jesus is the singer and we're the audience. And we're, we're supposed to sing along his word. He, he doesn't have to keep singing. We're singing for him. And that's kind of what they did. You could take away Joel, Joel Houston. Back then he had semi-long. Now he's got like, like super long hair and beard. And, you know, he changed his look. But Joel Houston, you know, he's Brian Houston's son. And the man's anointed. He's out there leading. But he could just step back and just go, go get a Starbucks. And they just keep going. They don't need the singer because they're singing for him. And that's funny because that's, that's what the church of Philippi was doing for Paul. They were singing for him. If you want to look at it, you know, in a creative way, that's what guys like me do. They think of creative ways to think on this. And, and we, as we praise, we're singing God's word into people's hearts for him when we praise. God is speaking through us by his praise. But Paul's farewell letter to the church of Philippi is a reminder to stay focused on the things that matter and do away with the things that don't. Worry is a waste when our faith 
is in Christ. Everybody say it. Worry is a waste when our faith is in Christ. It's easy to say it. It's hard to implement it, you know? Keeping joy at the helm or center of this ship, staying united with your brothers and sisters, and staying in communication with God through prayer, through praise, through fellowship, through planting, is the three keys to keeping a handle on this life as we walk it as a Christian. Those things got to be there or we start feeling malnutritioned in our spirit. If we forget the things Paul has noted, we can drift from the truth. The truth is what sets you free. If you lose the truth, you lose the freedom. And we can drift if we forget the key elements. Let me fix this here. Sorry, guys. My pulpit's all messed up today. So preachers, they're real weird about their pulpits and the notes and everything. They're much better. Much better. If we forget the things Paul has noted, though, we can drift from the truth and be influenced by the things that we can't control in a negative way. And ultimately, we start compromising our relationship with Jesus. We start living a compromised relationship, and eventually we could be living actually a, a, a lie, a non-truthful relationship. So my encouragement to you this morning is as we encounter trials and tribulations, that we will give it all to God. Everybody say all. All to God, remembering that we may be uncomfortable, but that uncomfortable season may bring and often will bring a blessing, and that in all seasons... Christ is with us and knows us. He knew us before we were born. We were made in his image. He knew us then. He knows us now. It's never goodbye, says Paul. It's just see you later. See you later, church of Philippi. I'll be back. Remember this. I'll be back. We're going to look at chapter 4. And what we've been doing is pulling out as much scripture as we can in a sermon here. And asking you all to read it also when you go home, to re-engage what's been spoken. But we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 4 through 7 this morning. Verse 4, it's really complicated. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Save the drama for your mama. Yes. Well, y'all don't say that here? You, got, you guys too good for that? Come on, who's with me? Come on. There we go. All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He repeats it. It means emphasis. Strong emphasis means take it seriously. I'm saying it more than once. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Be gentle. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing like this thing on my shoe. I'm like, what's going on? I'm anxious. There's something in my shoe. But it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's really hard to do. It's easy to feel good right now and feel like I'm in my, my Zen with the Lord and walk out of here and get that email and have your stomach in knots again, you know? But that's when it's a test of faith is when you leave here. It's easy when you're surrounded by the body, but when you're on house arrest or you're isolated or your leader's not with you on and on and you feel alone, that's when you have to exercise, be anxious for nothing. 
quit worrying about it. But in everything, everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When we bring it to God, we destroy anxiousness because God's peace comes in and takes its place. But you have to exercise what you've been given. It's not going to fall out of the heavens. You have to exercise what has been given. You have to retrain your brain to praise and be anxious for nothing. If you got to be numb sometimes, be numb. I'm like a robot in my normal job. Y'all don't know, I, I work full time. I'm a computer programmer and I'm a preacher. And that's not the, the yay, go me, nothing like that. But this is, this is out of my heart. And what I do to pay the bills is I, I'm on the computer. And I don't know if you ever worked with IT people. I know some of us are IT people, but it's a different culture there. And so, and so we tend to be very robotic. And, and um, it can be stressful. It's high-pressure type work. And, and people can blow you up with a frenzy of, of, of chain emails and carbon copy Susie and do this and create false problems and blow it up. And after a while, you go, man, I've seen it a million times. Just calm down. And you're the one all of a sudden diffusing the fires because you're numb to it. It's not new anymore. That doesn't stir you like it used to. It may take a few years of exercising that when you sense anxiety, I seize to let it live in me, and I bring the peace of God right now to my email, right now to this meeting, right now to this person who's treating me like dirt on the phone because he's worried about getting a promotion. He's trying to talk me down because he doesn't like that I'm doing better than him. All those things on the phone, I say right now, I don't need that. I represent God always, all in. The peace of God is my strength, and I don't need to play that game with people because I'm going to have anxiety from it, and I don't need that. We don't need that. Be anxious for nothing. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The title of this message today in this final sermon of affection from afar is remember this. Remember this. Touch your neighbor. Tell them, remember this. Matt, you don't have a neighbor. Just look to your chair and tell your chair, remember this. <laughs> uh. One of these days, Matt, there'll be a person sitting there. You can tap them. As I face the world, I will remember those things which keep me close and grounded to Jesus. As I face the world every day, tomorrow, I will remember the things that keep me grounded and close to Christ. So we're going to touch on three things to remember this morning. I can't remember an hour ago. How am I going to remember three things? Well, I got them written down. Maybe you should too. But these are three deeper things. And one of them is so deep. It's so hard to do. It's, are you ready? Are you ready? Remember to smile. Whoa. Whoa. How many days fasting did that have to come to you, Pastor? It's simple, but God is not complicated. If it becomes too complicated... Maybe you should revisit your thought. Remember to smile. You know how hard it is to smile when you don't want to? You know smiling triggers things to happen? It triggers a flow? Y'all don't know that I'm a pessimist and it's taken me 40 years of life to start smiling more naturally and not just fake it 
fake it till you make it for like the first half of my life. And you, you, all, um, you ever been in this situation where you're like going to work? And I used to work at A.G. Edwards way back uh, 2004, and I was on the help desk. And, and I'd get there in the morning. If I don't have no coffee, I'm not smiling. Got to have coffee first. I don't, what would Jesus do? He would have coffee first, okay, before he smiled at anybody. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. It's, I don't do stand-up, but I try to keep it interesting. So if it's not funny, maybe next time it'll be better, okay? Listen, so, so the elevator, how many been in this situation? There's an elevator, right? And you have, the, you have the button, you hop in there, and you know someone's coming, and you got the close button, you can make it close before they get there. Anybody ever did that because you don't want to smile and talk to them? Come on, it's just me? Debbie raised her hand. I don't do it anymore. Um, at that place. Now I gotta teach my kids. My kids get on and they're just like standing in the doorway of the elevator. I'm like, get in here, press that button. Cause you can hear the next group coming and they're like, oh, the door is still open. You're like, no, it's not. It's closed, take the next ride. But sometimes that's how you feel. Sometimes you get tired of smiling, but do it anyway. It took me a long time to do it anyway until I finally realized the more I do it, the more comfortable I become with dealing with it because I was really fighting anxiety of my own. I was fighting confrontation of seeing a human being face to face. I couldn't text him. I don't think I had text back then. What do we do? We had pagers. We had pagers. I couldn't page him. Start with a smile. Remember to smile tomorrow. It doesn't have to be, you know, just a crazy, woo, out of control smile. Just be like, hey, how's it going? You know, smile, even if you hadn't had your caffeine yet. Because remembering to smile triggers more to happen. It's a trigger. It triggers the brain to actually change your mood, they say, from grouchy to sad. I mean, it's, I mean, it's grouchy to happy. It's hard to be mad when you got a smile on your face continuously. Have you tried it? I dare you to get as mad as you can when you leave here and then smile for like two minutes and see if you stay mad. I don't think, I don't think you can. It's, magi it's magical. So remember to smile. Paul says be joyful and in prayer and bring the request to God. And when you don't feel like smiling, right then, bring your request to God. Say, God, bring me joy right now. Before church, you know, I had a headache. It's gone now. We prayed. I said, I can't even focus. I don't want to smile. I can't even talk. I can't even remember nothing. I said, God, touch his head right now because I know you are able. And he did. Brings clarity when you need it. He brings focus when you need it. He retrains the mind to respond to his spirit living inside of you when you smile, when you pray, when you bring your cares to him. Bring him your petition. When it hurts, not only do we smile, but we think on these things, these good things. Be anxious for nothing. Bring everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. That means being thankful. Being thankful when you don't want to. When you don't think it's fair and you think your life is really struggling, be thankful anyway. It's like smiling in your spirit. When you have thankfulness in your spirit, you're smiling to God saying, nothing can take what you've given me. It may be the worst on earth that I've ever seen, but it's not as bad as what it could be, and I am thankful anyway. You're smiling in your spirit. You're remembering to smile in your heart to God, even when it hurts. If Paul can do it, 
we can do it. Amen? Thankfulness, this is a good one. Thankfulness creates patience. But tension creates impatience. Have you ever been totally thankful and you're still like busting at the seams? No. There's a peace that comes over you. A peace of of godly um, anointing that comes over you. Because that peace comes from God. Anything peaceful ultimately comes from God because he created the heavens and the earth. And whenever you're feeling that tension... You can't be feeling thankful at the same time. Now, there is a thing as anticipation. You can, get in, in, uh, you can get a little excited for a situation and feel a little positive energy. But I'm talking about the knots in your stomach tension thing. You're ready to chop someone's head off because they looked at you wrong because you ran out of coffee beans that morning. Because your car wouldn't start, you're ready to unleash it at the first guy that you say hello to at work. I'm talking about that kind of tension. When you remember what you have and you stay thankful, your stress levels will go down. For real. They will. Because you can't be tense and thankful at the same time. You can't be grateful and balled up tight, caught up in an issue. When you are thankful, you become grateful. When you become grateful, you become humble and in a lowly place. I have fallen to a lowly place by being humbled by God. When, when, I've, when I've hit those places in my life, it's because I was knocked down by God. And then the weight just fell off. That's when the joy comes in and you feel the weight is lifted. You can't have both at once. So remember to smile and be thankful. And those anxious feelings will drift away. That tension will go away, but you have to implement these things. If you want to stay tense and mad all the time, you very well can, if you choose to. It's a choice. There's a lot of worriers in my family. I don't know about you. Worrying is just a thing, like, well, what if? What if this? What if this? What good does that do? Nothing. Worrying about the uncontrollable. What's the use? There used to be a song. I don't remember. Worrying's like chewing bubble gum to solve a math equation was the line. I thought that was really good. Worrying is like trying to solve a math equation by chewing gum. It's, it's completely a waste. And it actually increases your anxiousness. It increases your stress. Your stress. But it says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Quit worrying. Bring it to God. Don't do that, he's saying. Stop it. Quit doing that again. That's what he's saying. Who's in control of your life? You or God? God's in control. But do you know he's in control? If you don't know he's in control, because he is anyway, that's when you're going to stress out, freak out, think the world is falling on you. But when you know God is in control, nothing can shake a godly foundation, nothing. Because you believe, you act in faith. Your belief takes action. And, and when you know God is your foundation, foundation, nothing can shake your core. You're still gonna feel it, you still got emotions, you're still gonna feel things, but you have to stay faithful and remember who's in control. God can cover any situation, even the ones you don't think he will. That's when he will. 
He'll do, the, he'll do the craziest things, like send people to a church that never existed. It's crazy. Not this one. Yeah, this one. See, I believed. I believed. But when you see it take place, that moves you. And when you see it happen once, you know it can happen again. And from then on, you no longer question God because you know it's a real thing. You've solidified your faith to know now I can go further than I did before because now I've seen God do something in a way I've never seen before. Rejoice. Remember your strength. This is how God will guard your heart. So remember to smile. The second thing we want to remember to do is remember what is good. You know how it goes. What's good, my friend? What's good? Remember what is good. If we look at verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, is there virtue in this? And if there's anything praiseworthy, is this praiseworthy? Meditate on these things. How do I be anxious for nothing, he says. He says, meditate on these things. So when you feel that tension and you feel like, God, what do I do? He says, meditate on all the good things that I've given you, that I've continued to give you, your family, your love. If you don't have anything else, you have me, he says. Jesus says, you have me, if nothing else. And that's enough to shout a praise to the heavens. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, says Paul, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, look, I've given you the example, and when I'm not with you, you need to implement what I've given you if you want to see change. If you want to feel good and shout for joy, meditate on these things. Remember what is good. It's good to have integrity. It's good to be consistent when no one's looking. Apply what you're learning. See real change by applying what you're learning when no one is looking except God. That's where you're going to see the greatest change. You don't need to impress each other. You want to show your faithfulness to God. That's where you're going to see that godly promotion. Like Timothy, we saw in, on bended knee, he was promoted to go commission the gospel to others on behalf of Paul because he had integrity. He didn't squander in the pits of the enemy's bluffs. The bluff wants you to, the, the, the enemy wants you to feel like you're drowning, like there's no way out. He wants you to feel like you're in a pit of, well, like hell. Hell is a pit of fire, the Bible explains. And he wants you to feel like there's no way out. So when you start falling, just like he tried to do to Job back in the Old Testament, if you are strong in Christ, you will know the enemy's bluff. But if you don't know the depth of love God has for you, you may be tempted by the enemy's bluff. But it's just that. It's a bluff. We all know the devil is the father of lies. The Bible says he is the father of lies. So remember what is good and don't fall for those bluffs. Put your time and energy into that which has virtue, that which is noble. Put your time and energy into truthful things. How can we be blessed if we're being shady? You know, if we want God to bless us, we need to do it truthfully, faithfully, and not play this game with God. Because guess who's suffering in this? Ourselves. That's who's suffering when we play the game. We want to be truthful 
and genuine. And I'm not saying be perfect. I'm saying have truthful, unconditional intentions. And that's when God's going to change your life. We're not just playing a game up here. This is life or death. We believe it. That's why we're here. And we're thankful because of it. That's why we're here. My situation may look bleak, but God is good. Remember what is good. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I got a good God. I got a God who can't, who can't, he can fix anything the world throws at me. I may have lost my job. I lost my house. I lost my car. My car won't start. I can't get to church. Nothing, nothing, nothing is going my way. But God is good anyway because I'm alive and he died for me when he didn't have to. He loved me when he didn't have to. And when no one else was there for me, Jesus was there for me. So I will remember what is good. For many years, how do I explain this? I was chasing dollar bills, y'all. I'm just going to be straight up with y'all. I was fighting God, chasing success. And success is a good thing, but it began to take over my life where I could not remember anything my kids said to me. Every time they talked to me, it was an interruption. I still battle with that. I forget that the value is in those things. Not tomorrow. What about right now? We got another message coming about this. The pace for tomorrow, it's called. But it's something I've struggled with for many years. And it's taken me this many years to really see the value in the right things. Because we can impress the world with all the cool stuff we've gotten over time. But you know what? After you get it, you want to start getting rid of it all. Because you're weighed down. And we've been through that season. We've been very blessed. And that's not a bragging session. It's just a truth that now I want to remember what my kids are saying because my daughter's nine years old and I just thought she was born. I don't remember the in-between too well, Matt. We got four of them. How'd that happen? That's a joke. Well, we, you, know how it, you know how it happens. Anyway. Kaylee, this is what they'll do. They'll walk into my office. I, walk, I work above the garage. I call it the bat cave. And they'll bring me, like, stuff they made. Another thing. I'm just going to have to put it on my shelf. I don't have enough room for this, too, because it's always just like a torn piece of paper with some chicken scratch crayon on it. And for many years, I was kind of, kind of a jerk about it to my own kids because they're interrupting. Daddy's working. Don't you understand? You working? They're three. How are they going to understand what that is? Don't you understand? You're three. So, so a few months ago, this is one I remembered vividly that God said, pay attention, son. You preaching it, but are you doing it? And it was a humbling moment. Kaylee walks in. She's, she's about to be four next week. Hey, daddy. It's your happy birthday. Huh? It's your happy birthday. Happy birthday? Yeah. No, my birthday. It's not my birthday. It's like three months ago. She's got this completely saturated scotch tape piece of paper with something in it and a, and a card that just has some like slash crayon marks on it. It's this for you. It's your happy birthday. It's for my birthday? Yeah, you made that? Yeah, happy birthday. That's where the value is. You can't buy that. I mean, you can get a lot of stuff on Amazon. Don't get me wrong. But you can't get 
that. And that will be gone tomorrow. When I keep saying, I'll get to you later, later, they won't be bringing those things. What does she say? <laughs> so this is just a completely random side note because she's just so cute and it does make you feel good after telling you something so depressing like that. We got the shaved ice machine for Michelle's birthday and uh, we got the cups, you know, with the, they look like, what are they called? Umbrellas? They got like these leaves on them and they're colorful and you can pick your color. And she comes up yesterday, I'm, I'm on the computer doing something. What color you want, daddy? You want yellow? I'm like, I don't really like yellow, but I'm thinking, she's three. Okay, what color you want? What color you want? I'm like, she didn't hear me say yellow. And finally she goes, do you want yellow or do you not? She said to me, she sounds like me. Did you just give me an ultimatum with this? Did my three-year-old just give me an ultimatum? She goes, but she said it real quick, do you want yellow or do you not? Oh man, too funny. But that's the stuff. That's the gold, you know? And that's the things Paul is trying to say is, remember what is good and invest in what is good. Because everything has a season and we know what happens in seasons. They come and go. Beyond the moment is temporary. The best things can't be bought. They are priceless. Think on this today. Remember this today. The best things can't be bought. They are priceless. Absorb. Everybody say absorb like a sponge. The things that make you better, absorb it. It's like, that's like I'm, in, I'm encompassing it. It's becoming part of me when I absorb this. Retrain your doubt to become hope and belief. It feels like a prison, like Paul. But Paul says, Christ is being preached. This is not prison. This is glory. This is joyful. The church of Philippi is preaching from the word I put in, and I'm sitting back here seeing it come to fruition. This is good. Christ is being preached. He was joyful when he was in prison. So much to be thankful for, even when my habits, habits, their habits have surrounded you with doubt. And I can tell you, the older you get, the harder it is to break a habit. So much to be thankful for. Shake it off. Quit speaking it as so. Quit, quit giving the devil your attention and your time and reinforcing what he's planted in your head by speaking it to everyone. You can clap. That's good. I'm not going to, I mean, I don't, if I get a good one here and there, I'm going to take it. That's good. But that's God. Shake it off. Preach it to yourself. Preach the good news to yourself. Quit telling everybody your life sucks. It's just not, it's just not right. God just didn't have that for me. I just can't be nothing. I'm just a, I'm just a lizard. I just can't be nothing. After a while, it's like, okay, throw the violin down. Okay? Now what? Now let's do something to fix it. Let's call on God. And he's going to make it better. Retrain your brain. If my sacrifice can further the kingdom, Paul says, God has a crown waiting for me in the eternal heaven. I got a crown. I'm a king in heaven for spreading the gospel. That doesn't sound so bad. So remember what is good. 
Remember to smile. And lastly, all you veterans are going to get this one. Remember the sacrifices. I don't think I'd have to ask any of the veterans to know what that is. That at any time, you remember it was collaborative. That your brothers and sisters came together to serve with you. That others invested in you and you invested in others and together you achieved your duty, your honor. You remember the sacrifice which keeps you in that lowly, unbended knee, humble place in everything you do. And you remember it because if you forget it, then you'll drift. The last passage here in chapter 4 is verse 13 through 20. Everybody knows this verse. I don't even need to look at this one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, Paul says, you have done well that you shared. You shared. We did this together. We, I remember your sacrifice for me and my sacrifice for you, and we did this together. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also. Now you get it. He's saying, you didn't know before, but now you know. If you don't know, now you know. What song is that? I don't know. Rap song, Nate? Who was it? Okay. It'll come to me right after service, and I'll, I'll send out an email blast because it's really important. <laughs> now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I was departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving money and receiving but you only, he says, only you, he says, cared enough about my concern and my need to send a, a token of gratitude through Epaphrodites. Thank you, he says. Thank you for remembering my sacrifice to you, he says. Thank you for remembering the sacrifice Christ gave you, he says. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. I don't need the money, he says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Because of you, there is a fruit that has been birthed from your goodness by doing what you did, that now I have strength when I should otherwise be in prison and miserable. I have a fruit that sustains me from your giving because of what you did. I, I crave the fruit that abounds because of the goodness in your heart is what he's saying. He's saying, I don't need your money, but thank you. But what I, what, I, what, I, what I am thankful for is the sacrifice you gave for me. That will humble you. And that will focus you away from your issues and tell you God is good. Indeed, verse 18, I have all and abound. I am stuffed full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. According to his riches, my needs shall be met. It doesn't say according to my riches, my needs shall be met. He says according to his riches. That's why they say money can't buy happiness, but it can really make it fun, but it can't buy true happiness because it's his riches that supply my needs. Through Christ Jesus, 
Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen, he says, as he closes the epistles to Philippi. How many know his strength defeats all darkness? Come on, somebody. It defeats all darkness. Remember his sacrifice. Christ sacrificed on a cross before you even knew who he was. He did that for us. Remember the sacrifice of those who have invested in you, Paul says. Remember your family. Remember your church. Remember your friends. Remember people who have invested in you to make you better. Those who took care of you when you weren't able, give honor and respect to those where it is due. If you want respect, give it. This is the secret to God's promotion. This week, I encourage you to thank those who blessed you, and you shall be blessed. And guess what? Love those who hated on you. Love them too. It's hard to do. But try it. It's the Bible. Some left you, but some stuck by you on this journey you're on. Remember who shares in your distress. They believe in you enough to take part in it. That will change everything. When you see someone else share in your distress to help improve your relationship with God, that will change how you see others. And you won't be running to the elevator no more to hit the button. You'll be waiting at the door. Uh, I don't take tips or anything. I'm going to hold this door for you. They're going to look like you're weird. Jesus loves you. You're going to want to talk to people. You're going to want to share something. We're at the lake and my dad, so we got a couple condos, but my dad, he wanders them. Hey, dad. He wanders the, the lake property and he's talking to just random people. The other day, he was talking to the maintenance man for like two hours. And I know my dad. I said, there's only one thing he's talking about more than 15 minutes. It's Jesus. My dad comes up. What are we talking about, Dad? You're talking about Jesus, weren't you? Well, yeah, yeah, you know. He wanted the, he was interested in learning about the Bible. That's my dad. Because it's shaped how he sees people over time. It's not something that only he can do. It's something we all do. We're all called to do. It's just he exercises that. And so he, he has influenced that on me. And, and I try to influence that on my household. And, 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 and then maybe you can influence that on your household. And before you know, you have a church reaching people in a community. And a lot of us already do that, which is so cool. That's the Great Commission. That's what the Great Commission is. But some watch you climb the mountain by yourself. They just stood there. That's going to be hard. Have fun up there. <laughs> Some came and pushed you up the mountain. You know, like the little baby, they can't walk, and they got the diaper on, and you got to just right in the behind, man. You just got to shove them sometimes to get up the slide in the playground. You got to push somebody sometimes up the mountain, but they're only there because they love you and want to see you succeed. And when they run away because they want to take part, well, God's dealing with them, and they're not ready, perhaps. But in both situations, this is the key. Both made you better. Both God's will makes you better in good times and in bad. When you expected their help and they weren't there for you, you had to dig a little deep. God's will makes you 
better in good times and in bad. Can y'all stand with me as we close this morning? Remember what is good. Remember to smile. And remember the sacrifices. As I face the world, I remember those things which keep me grounded and close to Christ. Paul says the journey's not over. I'm handing the baton to you all, is what he says, to continue the mission, and I'll be back. Remember this, he says, I'll be back. It's not goodbye, it's see you later. Paul says if they cut my head off, which they're going to do someday, and they did, I'll be back. I'll see you in heaven because we're one body. It's not just me. It's not just you. We do this together. And we're in a place today in this world that people know who Jesus is, but they don't have a relationship with him. So a lot of the legwork is already there. Now we just got to give him, give them the seed to show them what a real relationship is with Christ. Amen. This week, the mission continues. Even when the torch has been entrusted into the next generation, remember this day. Remember this day that when you feel abandoned, you feel doubted, you feel deceived, you feel mocked, laughed at, embarrassed, ridiculed, never given a sense of value, never given a chance to succeed, remember Christ paid it all because of you. He sees value in you. He believes in you. We can bow our heads right now. God, we come to you in your mighty name, the only name given among men that we can be saved because of your sacrifice. You paid for a crime that we committed. You shed your blood when you didn't have to. You went to the cross because you loved us that much. We're in awe of you, God. This realization has changed our hearts. And God, we want to remember the little things, the little victories. We want to remember the things in this church that we're going to look back and say, wow, you remember that used to get us all up in a frenzy. And now look what God has done. We were worried about that. (laughs) Where is our faith? Lord, thank you, God, for rooting up in this this house and thank you for carrying your word to these people as we go through as your body this community and we touch one person at a time one person at a time and people are going to slowly come back they're going to tell their friends because we are moving your word through people's hearts we are fighting the devil and rebuking those bluffs and we're going to see you root something great in lake st louis and if the house of god could say in jesus name amen